Welcome to The Deeper You Go, The Weirder It Gets. I'm your host, Garrett Rennan. So a couple of people have reached out to tell me that they are enjoying the podcast. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. So And, and I, I like to say sorry, it's been a while since the last episode. I've been busy, but I really am enjoying doing this show and I plan to keep on going. So hopefully I can become a little bit more efficient at getting podcasts out. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So this is part three of the Human Creation Myth series. If you haven't heard part one or part two, I suggest you listen to those episodes first. With that being said, here's a quick summary of both part one and part two. In part one, I discussed the story of Adam and Eve, which, as we found out, is much more than just a simple creation story. The story of Adam and Eve is about a pivotal moment in human evolution. It's a story about how we humans became consciously aware, about how we transitioned from a lower state of awareness to that of a much higher one. But most importantly, the story of Adam and Eve conveys that this transition did not happen randomly. Instead, it tells us that we humans are a product of creation that our transition to this higher state of awareness was a result of an outside force, a higher intelligence. And in part two, I discuss the Sumerian creation story, which predates the Bible and the story of Adam and Eve by thousands of years. And we also learn that the cuneiform tablets on which these creation stories were written are in fact some of the oldest writings to have ever been discovered. The Sumerian creation story has a similar theme as the Adam and Eve story, although much crazier and much more in-depth. It is basically about an advanced alien race or higher intelligent beings called the Anunnaki who came to Earth in search of more resources and that these advanced beings are directly responsible for not only the creation of the human race, but also directly involved in the war on consciousness which we are still fighting today. The Anunnaki were divided on the fate of the human race. Some wanted us to be simple-minded creatures just capable of following orders and performing mindless tasks, while others wanted us to have unlimited potential. What's interesting about this divide is it's the same divide or debate scientists are currently having today in regard to the potential or capabilities of artificial intelligence. Some scientists want to create a fully functioning AI, with unlimited potential, while others say that creating something with that much potential would be too dangerous. So this idea of creators deciding the fate or putting restrictions on their creations seems like it has been an issue or debate that has been going on forever, and it leads us right into the third creation myth, the Gnostic creation story. Okay, so what is Gnosticism? Well, gnosis is actually an ancient Greek word meaning knowledge. So with that in mind, Gnosticism is an ancient religious idea that emphasizes personal spiritual knowledge over orthodox teachings and traditions. And this emphasis of personal knowledge over orthodox teachings is what makes Gnosticism so fascinating. And it's also one of the reasons why mainstream Christianity, Christianity considers it a heresy. In general terms, Gnostics believe that we, that we all have a divine spark that lives within us and that the mission is to liberate this divine spark so that we can acquire enough knowledge to understand the true nature of reality. In other words, Gnostics believe that salvation, enlightenment, 
and human potential could only be obtained by searching inward. And to take it a step further, they believe that the point of this human experience is to discover our true self, to obtain knowledge, and to increase our awareness, with the overall goal of waking up and freeing ourselves from this dirty, corrupt world. Yes, a dirty, corrupt world. Apparently, the Gnostics believe that this physical world which we are all currently living in is a cruel place created by a lesser god. That we are all essentially trapped in a lower dimension of reality and the only way to free ourselves from this lower dimension is to obtain personal knowledge. And that's some interesting shit if you ask me. And we, and we will get into that in more depth soon. So until 1945, the only knowledge of Gnosticism came from polemics. This means that until 1945, most of the knowledge we had about Gnosticism came from anti-Gnostic writings created by the Orthodox Church. I'm going to put this idea of polemics into some context. Imagine that you wanted to learn about the thoughts, beliefs, and policies of the Democratic Party. But the only information you had available to you came from Republican sources. So if you think about that scenario for a second, if the only sources available to you came from your rival, the information you received would most likely be nothing more than half-truths and exaggerations. Well, before 1945, this was the reality for nearly all of the Gnostic information available. Okay, so what happened in 1945? Well, near the Egyptian, Egyptian town of Nag Hammadi, a collection of 13 ancient books called codices were found buried in the ground. These 13 books, which date back to the 4th century BCE, are now known as the Nag Hammadi Library. These books are considered to be the most complete record of the Old Testament. The discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library is, is extremely important, and one, and one could even argue changes the course of history because it contains text once thought to have been entirely destroyed during the early Christian struggle to define orthodoxy. Many of the books found have not been seen for thousands of years. So I want to emphasize the fact that these 13 books were found buried. This means they were, they were hidden. And, and that means someone went to great effort to make sure that the information contained in these books was preserved. See, one of the biggest criticisms of the Bible, and rightfully so, is that we all know that it has been edited. We know that certain sentences, chapters, stories, and even whole books have either been changed or completely removed over time, depending on who was in control. And it's not just the Bible, right? We know that our entire history has been edited. As George Orwell said, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. So the discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library is just more evidence that our history has been censored and altered to fit a certain narrative by a large, powerful organization like the Christian Church. Like I mentioned before, if you have done any deep dive into history, you know that this is not the first time something like this has happened, and unfortunately, it probably won't be the last. In fact, altering the altering of history is still going on today, but that's a different episode. All this just adds to the mystique and mystery of Gnosticism. Okay, so let's go a little deeper into what Gnostics believe. Gnostics believe in a dualistic anthropology, 
which is the view that we humans are made up of two components, a material physical body and an immaterial soul or spirit. And Gnostics believe that the soul is something transcendent and harmonious, which is trapped inside a dirty, corrupted body. The goal is for the soul to escape the physical world and enter the spiritual realm. The idea of dualistic anthropology is a fairly easy concept to get behind. If you spent any amount of time in your own spiritual journey, I'm sure you have pondered the idea that you are not your body. In some ways, science even validates this idea to a certain extent. Or, or maybe I should say science's lack of explanation for where consciousness comes from adds some validity to this idea. Despite having fairly substantial knowledge of the brain and all of its functions, neuroscientists have never discovered the part of the brain that creates consciousness. It doesn't seem to exist. So the likely scenario is that our brain does not produce consciousness. Instead, it acts more like a radio receiver and tunes into the frequency of our consciousness. This makes me think of the quote by French philosopher... (laughs) His name, I've heard the quote, I've never pronounced his name, so I'm probably going to butcher it, but I'll try Pierre Talihard de Chardin. So anyway, his quote is, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. If you look deep into yourself, I can almost guarantee that this quote resonates with you on an almost primordial level. We all have strong feelings that we are much more than our thoughts, feelings, and physical experiences. That we are much more than our physical body. And even Yoda dropped some Gnostic knowledge when he told Luke Skywalker, Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. So while it seems extremely reasonable that our current existence is made up of two parts, the physical and the spiritual, I'm not entirely sure that our physical part is completely corrupt and dirty. However, while our world has a lot of beauty, love, passion, wonder, and amazement, there's no denying that this world also has a lot of destruction, corruption, depression, hate, and downright evil associated with it. Why is that? Why are we these unique, amazing creatures who seem to have unlimited potential, yet war, greed, deceit, corruption, and destruction is still a major part of our reality? Who knows? Maybe it's because we are currently in a war for our consciousness? I will expand expand on that a little bit more later on. Okay, so another Gnostic idea is the belief in dualistic theology which means Gnostics believe in two primary gods, one main, almost perfect god called the Monad, and a lesser, almost evil god called the Demiurge. According to Gnostic beliefs, we, and in fact the entire physical universe of which we are a part of, was created by the Demiurge. In simplistic terms, you can think of the Monad as the good god and the Demiurge as the bad or bad god or the devil. So it's so it's the old good versus evil narrative. The plot twist is that we were created or at least our souls are trapped in the physical world by the evil god. So the belief that we were created by the bad god, the demiurge, makes for an interesting creation story. In fact, the gnostic creation story is actually a different telling of the Adam and Eve story. So the Nag Hammadi book Apocry- Apocryphon of John 
states that Adam and Eve were created by a lesser jealous god, the Demiurge, who trapped humanity on a corrupt planet, hiding the truth that humans are more than just physical beings, that we are in fact divine souls having a human experience. So we were created by the lesser of the two gods, and the truth about who we are and where we came from was hidden in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Jesus, according to the Gnostics, is considered a savior sent from the monad to save humanity from the demiurge. He is, he is the one that encourages Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit so that they may gain the divine knowledge necessary to free themselves from this physical prison and obtain eternal life. What's interesting about the Gnostic interpretation of Adam and Eve is that the offering of and eating of the forbidden fruit was not a bad thing. It was not the original sin as we were told by mainstream Christianity. Instead, it was a liberating moment necessary to wake us up to our true nature. Now, this is an extremely general summary of the Apocryphon of John, also known as the Secret Book of John. Because this episode is getting a little long, I didn't want to go into more detail of that book, but the whole story is fascinating, so I hope to do an episode in the future just going over that book in more detail. Anyway, one interesting aspect of Gnosticism is that it ties together the last two episodes rather nicely. The Gnostic texts not only tell a different version of, of the Adam and Eve story, they also contain many similarities to the Sumerian creation myth, such as our creator, while no doubt a powerful and intelligent, while, is while no doubt powerful and intelligent, is by no means the supreme God. And because these creators are lesser beings than the almighty God, they are far from perfect. In fact, some of these lesser gods can be downright male- malevolent. <laughs> that word malevolent. I don't know why that word I have a hard time saying. So anyway, another way to look at it is just because something created you doesn't mean they are necessarily perfect, let alone all-knowing and all-loving. The show Westworld and the idea of simulation theory do a great job at exploring this concept. For example, in Westworld, the creators of the artificially intelligent robots are just humans. While humans do have amazing potential, we all know that we are far from perfect. Just think about this. Imagine that you created a fully conscious robot. This robot would look to you as its god, and in some ways, you are. However, I bet you wouldn't want that responsibility. We humans are certainly not all-knowing and all-loving. We are imperfect beings that still struggling to find our purpose in the cosmos, and now some other entity looks to you as its god? That would definitely be hard to handle. And simulation theory states that we may very well just be a product of a simulation being conducted in the future in some random guy's basement. While this theory may sound ridiculous, mathematically there is a higher possibility that we are actually living in a simulation than there is of us living in in the non-simulated real world. This is because as technology grows and we can see this coming possibly even in our lifetime, that we will be able to have a virtual experience that is so real that we would not be able to tell the difference between the real world and the virtual world. Once this technology becomes available, we would be able to essentially run an infinite amount of simulations. So when you think about it, there can only be one, there can only be 
one true experience, but there can be an infinite amount of simulations. That's why the odds that we are living in the real world are mathematically almost zero. It's what the math says. I know, it's fucking crazy. So, if we're living in a simulation, then there's a good chance our creator is just a random future human. Another similarity is that there is a struggle for control over the consciousness of the human race. In both myths, there is one group of higher beings that wants to enslave humanity, keep keeping our energy, awareness, and consciousness in a low state of vibration, essentially controlling us by controlling our mind. And then there's another group of humanity. There's another group that wants humanity to ascend to our potential and transcend to higher dimensions of awareness. In the Sumerian myth, it's the Anunnaki, and in, the Gnos- and in Gnosticism, it's the Monad and the Demiurge. This battle between good and evil, this battle for our consciousness still goes on today. Meaning that if these creation stories have any truth to them, then this battle has been fought since the beginning of time. Another similarity is that we must play an active role in our own salvation. While according to these myths, there are higher beings who can and do help us, However, there are also beings who will gladly work to keep us trapped in a low vibrational state. Again, there there are the different groups of the Anunnaki for the Sumerians, and there's not only the Monad and the Demiurge for the Gnostics, there are also the Aeons and the Archons, which are basically like angels and demons. Despite these different groups of higher dimensional beings fighting for our control, fighting for control of our consciousness, we still have to be active participants in this battle. We can't sit back and hope someone or something will come and save us. We must take an active role in our own salvation. We must do everything we can to grow, to learn, and to gain knowledge. We have unlimited potential and possibilities, but we have to be willing to fight to reach our highest limits. Not only that, but our unlimited potential goes both ways goes both ways. We have just as much potential to achieve greatness as we do to be a destructive member of society. The idea that our potential goes both ways means we must choose our path. So what path should you take? The path you take depends on who you want to become. This reminds me of the story of two wolves. So I will leave you with this. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he says to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy. Peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply simply replied... The one you feed. See you on the other side.